Welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on mentoring an electric guitar player. Growing up, I was fortunate enough to have people in my life who nurtured my positive interests and steered me away from negative ones. An interest I like to think of as positive is the guitar. It stimulated creativity, built confidence, and gave me a skill that I've enjoyed nearly my entire life. Now, I'm not saying it was easy. It took hard work, determination, and lots of effort to gain the skills that I have attained, and it will take even more to attain the skills I wish to have in the future. Because of the value I see in this glorious instrument, I now mentor other guitar players in their journey by helping with youth and adult worship teams, contributing helpful statements on internet forums, bringing my family on tours when I can, and, as you are hearing now, starting a podcast for me and my fellow music lovers to speak on. But how do you mentor an electric guitar player? Can anybody do it? Where do you find a good mentor? What do I wish I would have learned earlier? And is there a difference between practicing and playing in a band? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Beth on the Tweed Couch. Well, Beth, it is great to have you back with us again on the couch to talk about something that is probably near and dear to both of our hearts, which is the electric guitar and youth and mentorship and trying to help people along. So thanks, Beth, for being a part of the Tweed Couch again. Yeah, well, I'm excited to be back here. So it's always good to get a little therapy, you know. Yeah. Oh, and, and you know, and during the pandemic and everything, this has really been therapy. It's been nice to... I, I don't want to say have a forced guitar conversation, but, you know, before all of this, the amount of times that I ever called you on the phone was close to zero. So <laughs> to be able to have an excuse to talk to someone who has a similar love that I do, I really like it. I feel like I feel more connected to more people now in guitar than I did before the pandemic. Um, yeah, it, it's it's pretty wild how it works out. You people you never you never talk to and all of a sudden you're zooming with everybody and Yeah, right. Just, <laughs> As we talk about what we're doing today, first let's find out when did you actually start playing the guitar and what was your first guitar? I started playing the guitar I think in 1995. I think I was a sophomore in high school and uh my choices for my electives were basically I could have taken another PE class and I hate running or I could have taken guitar. So I took a guitar class. Really? They offered that at your high school? They offered that at my high school. Our band instructor who his name was Philip Butts. Yep. You heard it right. And uh, (laughs) great guy. And he actually played drums for Gladys Knight and the Pips. So that was his claim to fame. He he was a heck of a drummer. Y'all bet. Yeah. But he was a terrible guitar teacher. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he was just, he was super nice. Uh, but, the you know, it was a great guitar class. And, um, you know, my first guitar was actually an acoustic guitar. And that's what we learned in there. It was like classical technique and things like that. But but my very first electric guitar was a Stratocaster-style Squire. Oh, okay. You know, with a sunburst and the dark mm-hmm. edge. And it was just, it was really pretty. Yeah. And I loved it. And it was, it was great. 
Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing with it. And uh, <laughs> I think I, I don't know if I had any, I must have had a, the first pedal I got was like a blues driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was my little setup. I had a little tiny little, you know, solid state amp, you know, you know, like you do when you're yeah. first starting out. And that was my first guitar was, yeah, a little Squire Strat. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, the first guitar that I learned to play on was actually my brother Paul's like early 80s Fender Bullet guitar. It was red and had like this Telecaster headstock on it. And it was actually made in America and everything, which was pretty cool. It, it was a fun guitar to learn on, but it wasn't mine. And, yeah. and in all honesty, learning to play, my dad played. And so being able to learn from my dad, who, you know, he grew up playing in the late 50s, early 60s, and he played with bands. So I learned chords like Louie Louie, which is Pharaoh nice. Pharaoh to us, um, uh-huh. you know. Yep. yep. And, you know, so we learned chords like that and it was super fun. But my first guitar, what I call my first guitar, was a 1994 Fender Mexican Stratocaster. And the cool thing about this was at the time, I played baseball and I pitched and I was really good at pitching but it was all in rec league and I started playing select and my dad said you need to tell the coach you're a pitcher and I was like nah dad I don't I don't want to rock the boat I just made the team and everything mm-hmm. and and he said no 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 you need to tell the coach that you can pitch cuz you're an excellent pitcher and I was like ah, I don't know I don't know and finally he said I need you to tell the coach because I know you can do it and I what do you want I will I will bribe you and I said to him well I want a Fender Stratocaster and he said a Fender you mean a Squire Stratocaster I went no I want a Fender Stratocaster and I will go tell the coach (laughs) that I pitch if you get me a Fender Stratocaster and my dad said okay then I'm gonna make you a bet First of all, you have to tell the coach. Second of all, you have to pitch at least four innings. And then finally, you have to win the game. So if you get the win, you pitch more than four innings, and you tell the coach, I will buy you a Fender Stratocaster. And I went, deal. Went, told the coach. He said, all right, you know what? You can pitch the next game. And I was like, sweet. So I went and I pitched, and I pitched six and a third innings, and I had five strikeouts, and we won six to two. So ultimately (laughs) I got a Fender Strat. So that's how I got my first guitar. My first guitar. (laughs) That's a, that's an expensive bribe right there. That is an expensive bribe. I I think new at the time, a a Mexican Strat was about three fifty, four hundred $400. No case, no nothing. It was just, that's all it was. But of course this was, this was the mid nineties. You know, they don't, now it's, you know, five six seven hundred dollars for a a mexican stratocaster and honestly they're better but inflation it's about right you know (laughs) yeah yeah well i'm gonna add to that because you know if you talk about like what your guitar the one that you wanted that you picked out yeah you know the squire strat for me was great but i really the one i remember the most was the guitar that i picked out that i bought for myself and it was this sweet little dan electro like the 120 dollar and it had like the baby blue rim and like mm. the cream, like it was like a paper <laughs> veneer on top. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, it had like, you know, the two lipstick, the two lipstick, uh, lipstick pickups, pickups. There. Yeah. But 
it was mine. I picked it out, and it was like I like this color, and it was just I picked it out because it was pretty. It yes, yeah. I remember those guitars. Yeah. Was it a single cut or a double cut? I think it was the double cut. Um, okay, yeah. yeah, the DCs. Yeah, yep, uh, yep. I. So we're, we learned around the same time because I mm-hmm. remember those guitars and I yeah. wanted a Dan Electro. And what I loved about them was you could pick one up for 150 bucks. You could pick yeah. up the Hodad for $250, but yeah. you got coil splitting and you got all this. If you mm-hmm. wanted a double neck, $500, you know, yeah. I mean, I was like, man, I'm all in, but you know, I, I, I ultimately, I never ended up getting one, but yeah. I, I just, I love the idea of them. They're so cool. Yeah. It was a fun one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So growing up playing then, who did you have mentoring you? Because that's that's probably a problem with most people is they try to get into something and because they don't have good counsel or they don't have someone who's there as their accountability partner or they don't have someone that really inspires them to play, they they lose focus and they don't do it. So who was your mentor growing up? That's a great question, because as I think about it, I don't know that I had any one individual that, you know, I would say was a mentor. You know, when I started, uh, it was me and and my good friend, Chris. He got me into blues and he's the one that, you know, encouraged me to to get the the blues driver pedal and uh, and to kind of go that direction. And so we would get together and we would uh, attempt to listen to like Johnny Lang or, or, you know, Stray Cat. Well, Stray Cats is a little more swing. But, you know, um, you know, that that was the music that we tried to imitate and and we did a terrible job at it. Um, (laughs) But, you know, we're (laughs) sophomores, juniors in high school, but all throughout high school, that's what we did. We would get together and we'd talk about gear and and uh, he actually still manages a music go round in Baltimore. And so, you know, that's his life. And it's so it's pretty cool. Uh, But, yeah, I would say my friends that I hung out with really were the inspiration to kind of keep me going. And then. After that, you know, it's tough, especially as a female, you know, I think it's much harder to find a mentor because, you know, there's something to be said about being in a quote unquote man's world, right? There's truth to that, you know, like that's what the guitar world is. It's dominated by men. And, you know, as a woman, you, you do feel a little bit intimidated sometimes walking in, uh, and, you know, people are like, oh, can, can she actually play? And as a female trying to find somebody to teach me things, to, to mentor me, you know, that was a difficult thing. And so I would say more than anything, the encouragement I got came from in the acoustic world. And that's really where my roots came was playing the acoustic and big time. It was in church and being encouraged to play and learn how to play in church. And, um, I'll never forget this one she, she was the parent of one of my friends. Uh, her name is Dana. And uh, she would bring her guitar mm-hmm. and we would do contemporary worship songs, which in a traditional yeah. Lutheran church setting, you know, that was, yeah. that was a big deal. Like getting the guitars that was a big out. Deal. Man, throw the organ away. Uh, yeah, we're seriously. playing the guitars today. So we had our eight o'clock in the morning contemporary worship service. <laughs> but I showed up to it because I love to play. And that yeah. was really my encouragement. And, you know, I had youth leaders um, when I was in high school. Vicki and Terry were uh, our youth leaders, along with some other good friends, uh, parents. And they always just encouraged me and, you know, some other kids to 
bring our musicianship out there and, and to play. And yeah. it's a big step to bring a guitar into a traditional Lutheran church setting uh, at yes. that point in time. Now it's not so much. Especially much an electric one. Well, yeah. And then, so then I started bringing my electric and I would play my damn yeah. electro and um, that, that didn't go over as, as well with the yeah. congregation, yep. but you know, there was nothing else to go with it. So it was just me and my electric playing along with an acoustic and a piano and maybe a tambourine. And so, yeah. um, it was, it was definitely a different world for me. And I would say that becoming an electric guitar player wasn't something that happened until I went on the road with captive free. And yeah. it was through that experience that I discovered, oh, hey, this is how you play. And I never really had anyone to kind of coach me through how to be a good electric guitar player. So, you know, when I started playing the electric, I was a, a really good acoustic rhythm player. And so I would say that, you know, coming into contact with other people who were like-minded, who were also learning, that really kind of sparked the the growth i guess as an electric guitar player so well me growing up i was very fortunate to grow up in a family of guitar players you know my dad played he played surf music he played beatles covers when he was younger he played in bands um actually one of the bands he played with is in the rock and roll hall of fame of iowa Nice. Yeah, not in Cleveland, but, you know, um, <laughs> Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But, you know, he he did a lot of that stuff and it was a lot of fun and he enjoyed it. Well, here he's got kids. He's got this cool guitar, which we all thought just looked super awesome. And we wanted to learn as well. So I started to learn some, but really it was my brother, Paul, who started to learn first and then my brother Darren actually started to learn some because Paul got interested and it just kind of all went from there. So I had a number of mentors in the fact that I had a brother who was excelling quickly at it once he finally got into it. I had a dad who had a past with it and you know I feel like most kids want to follow in their parents footsteps Mm-hmm. And then they find things that they don't like. And then they go, well, but I don't want to be that. I want to be this, but I don't want to be that. And and guitar mm-hmm. was one of those that I looked at and I went, I want to be that. So I, I was lucky to have that. Now, when I get into high school, my brother Paul is about to go on to tour throughout central, south central area of United States and and do all of that. And my youth director at the time was Lloyd. And Lloyd was actually on this this therapy session um, at at one point, and we talked about Marshalls and and he actually was more of a mentor for guitar and touring and all of that stuff with Paul, mm-hmm. which was fine because Paul was a senior. He was getting ready to go do on this go on this tour thing, but what ended up happening from that was I became motivated. And Lloyd started this band called Echelon. And mm-hmm. playing yeah. with Echelon, I saw them and went, I want to play like that. Like, I like what they do. I am inspired by that. And one of the coolest things that ever happened was they came for a youth event. And I was still a youth. I was a, I was a senior in high school. And Echelon came through. And Lloyd and Todd, I had talked with both of them, and they said, hey, you should bring your guitar to the event 
and come play with us. And nice. I went like, like on stage and they're like, yeah, we, on the, the Saturday night we do a dance and we just play cover tunes. You should play along with us. And I was like, okay. I mean, they had not heard me play. They literally were just going to let me be on stage, having no idea whether I was really any good, and play with them. And that moment, I re- I still remember to this day being on stage, playing with them, and going, oh my gosh, I've been bit. I'm infected. I love this idea of being on stage and playing and being around them. And so when I think about mentors and I think about people who nurtured my guitar enthusiasm Mm -hmm. I often think of Echelon and I think of Lloyd because those guys without them doing that I don't know that I would have gone more this route so maybe they're to blame maybe I shouldn't say that they're (laughs) I don't know (laughs) but those are some pretty big mentors for me and then my last big mentor was after doing all of that, you know, playing with them and knowing that this is what I wanted to do, the new youth director that was there by the name of John, um, he found opportunities for me to play for the youth and play worship songs and play silly songs. And I mean, ultimately, uh, after I went on tour and came back, he was like, great, let's start a youth praise team, and I would nice. like you to lead it. Even though you're not one of the youth anymore, I need someone to lead the youth doing this. And so he put me in charge mm-hmm. of that. And honestly, that was him saying, I need you to be a mentor, was really him being a good mentor also to me. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you're a teacher yeah. as well, so you understand yeah. that you can learn something all you want, but you don't know it until you have to teach it. Yeah. And that yeah. made a huge difference to me of, okay, yes, I play guitar, but now I have to teach someone musicianship and I have to teach someone, you know, layering. I have to teach someone chord progressions and rhythm and all that kind of stuff, even yeah. though I'm not a drummer. I'm not a, you know, at mm-hmm. the time I didn't feel like I was a vocalist. I didn't feel, you know, yeah. so I think it just takes a little bit of humility to kind of step back and say, you know what? I have something to give here. I have, I, I want to help this person. And it does no benefit to you to mentor someone. Yeah. It does, it does, it's, it's a completely selfless act to, you know, yeah. to approach a, a kid and say, you know what, I want to nurture this that I see in you yeah. and I want to help you become something that could even be better than what I am. And so, you know, I think as an artist, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of pride in your work. There's a lot of pride in, you know, as a musician, your abilities and your skills. And so to be able to kind of step back and say, you know, I'm going to set my pride aside and I want to teach you knowing that you could surpass me <laughs> in your yeah. greatness, which which in all honesty, like I, I hope that there are kids that surpass me in my greatness. You know, yeah. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, <laughs> I really hope they do. Uh <laughs> And then they, then you get to ride their coattails up to greatness with them. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'll take those take free tickets you. to your concert. And uh, yeah, That's yeah, right. that'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will. I will accept ten percent of anything you make for the rest of your life. That's yes. what I need. <laughs> That's, uh, That's a fair deal. Fair deal. Like That's fair. It. Come on, I started you. No. Uh, you know. So, in this talk of 
mentors and and mentorship. The thing is, is like mentors can only go so far. There's also musical influences. And Mm -hmm. so when I look at it, I think of bands and I think of artists that have been guitar influences. Like for me, growing up, George Strait and Diamond Rio and Garth Brooks, you know, like radio Mm -hmm. hits. I loved radio hits, 90s country. It was all strumming. It was all 4-4. It was, you know, cowboy chords. It, It was fun and I really enjoyed it. But as I started to progress... Next thing I know, I find myself interested in bands like Audio Adrenaline, you know, a wonderful sure. Christian band that has more of that rock type sound. Their Bloom yeah. album was great. Of course, Echelon, you know, because I got to play with them. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'm all in. Yeah. And and Hootie and the Blowfish was huge. <laughs> yeah. And none of their solos, none of their songs were hard. And so it actually made it a lot of fun to learn solos and to learn riffs that they did. which is more of that rock type style. And then I progressed finally to Kenny Wayne Shepard and Leonard Skinner and those types. And that's when all of a sudden lead guitar became a thing for me. You know, before that rhythm was all I really did. And it was actually because of, and I don't know if you ever watched this, if you had cable at all in the late nineties, but uh, there was a, a show on VH1 that was called Hard Rock Live. Yeah. And yeah. yes, I remembered seeing Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and I remember seeing Leonard Skinner and mm-hmm. Collective Soul. And yeah. there were all these different bands. And I, I would record them and watch them again later. And the guitar work. That's when I went. I want to be a lead guitar player. I want to play electric guitar like that. That musical influence right there is the reason, honestly, it's the reason why I play like I do today, which is interesting to say because I don't play like them, but it was that stepping stone to get me to where I am now. Collective Soul, that was one of the the albums that I listened to a lot in high school, was their, their first album. And I think that was kind of the first the first moment when I started really listening to the different tones in the guitar and Collective Soul has that, they kind of have that beefy, you know, oh really yeah, dark sounding. Yeah. And it was very, very different from like, you know, we're sitting there listening to, um, to Johnny Lang. Uh, you know, he, he was, he was big when I was in high school, just listening to the different tones. It was, I, I would say that that, that was definitely the first the first time I, I, I started really honing in on that. So, yeah. Yeah. So as a seasoned professional and a, a seasoned player now, <laughs> what do you wish that you could have learned as a young player? There's a lot, actually. Um, I, I feel the same way. <laughs> if I only knew then what I know now. I know. Uh, you know, I really have to give my husband some credit here because it's been him this entire time who's, you know, I, I've always been okay, uh, a decent guitar player. And, and when we met, you know, uh, we met, what, 20-something years ago. Yeah. Uh, he has always been the one to encourage me to start listening better. And that was one thing that, as a teenager, I don't know that I did a good job of listening. And listening specifically to each guitar in the band and how they go together. And it wasn't really until I was 
in a band with another guitar player with Paul that we really had to start looking at tone and how do our tones complement each other. And yeah. so that's that's something that I wish I'd have known when I was in high school. And I think it would carry me through. And and that's one thing that, you know, as I work with, you know, youth in our church that I'm in right now, you know, I'm I'm a, a worship leader at my church and trying to bring up some of the youth and, and get them involved. And, you know, we've got some fabulous guitar players. And that's one of the things that I'm just like, you, you have to start listening to your tone and my tone. And we need to make them complement each other. And so you don't want the guitars to sound the same. So that that's one area that I wish I would have paid more attention and, and just been told and made to do. And then the second thing is also listening to what the guitars are playing with each other. And so everybody can hear a solo. Everybody can hear the whole band. But when you really sit back and you listen and you say, well, what is that guitar playing? So yeah. maybe this band has an acoustic and two electrics. Well, you've got your lead electric playing all these riffs. Well, what's that other electric playing? Yeah. You know, what are the intonations and what are the different chord structures? And mm -hmm. not only that, but what is the strum pattern that they're playing? And so yeah. I wish that I had had the dedication and the um, discipline. Yeah, the discipline, really, to sit down and, and pay better attention to what each piece was playing. And I think that kids today, kids will jump in. You know, that's a youth. Youth do this, right? So when you're young, you just jump in and you just play and you're mm -hmm. like, look, I'm playing the song. And it's like, well, yeah, but are you really playing the song together? And so that's not yeah. something that I really learned how to do until I was like in my mid-20s, I think. It, it, how to do effectively and I'm still learning how to do it yeah. and um, you know now as I lead a worship team each week and, and we're trying to recreate songs having to listen to the pieces and, and fit them together that's definitely a skill that I wish that I had developed more at a younger age I mean I'm glad I have it now it's it's good but yeah yeah younger Dr. T you know looking back mm -hmm. things that I kind of wished I would have had even though I don't know that I would have done it. I, you know, when it comes down to it, like I know things that I go, man, I wish I would have done that. But whether I would have actually had the discipline, as you said, to do mm -hmm. it, I don't know. But I kind of wish that I understood chord structure better as mm, a kid. Yeah. I knew that you could put your fingers this way and you get an A, put your fingers this way, you get a C, put your fingers this way and it's a bar chord. And now you just slide it up and down and you get all sorts of things. But I didn't understand why. I just mm -hmm. knew you could. So that's just rote memorization. You know, that's not understanding what's happening, you know. Yeah. And, well, it's similar to, you know, like driving a car. It's like, well, I know that I need to turn this key or push this button nowadays. And then I just move this one little shifter and then pedal on the left is to stop and the pedal yeah. on the right is to go and that's it but you don't necessarily know so when something goes wrong you're like hold on why isn't it going in gear or <laughs> well why is it that when i stop it makes that weird noise you know things like that I, I just didn't know it and the same thing goes to guitar playing then when i look at guitar playing then i just kind of knew that you put your fingers here and you make good noise yeah. and if these strings are tuned like this it's all going to come together and so I, I wish I knew chord structure, I, hmm. you know, knowing root, third, fifth, 
And what yeah. does it mean when it's a seventh or a sus? Or how do you make something minor? Why is it minor? You know, that kind of yeah. thing. And then as a lead player, I wish I would have learned like the caged system quicker. Do you sure. know what the caged system is? No, but I feel like I need to. Uh, you should. It, it's 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 pretty fun. Basically, the idea is based off of of chord structure. So mm-hmm. caged C A G E D is whenever you're you're doing these. Uh, we'll we'll call them scales. Um, it's kind of it's the pentatonic scale, and yeah. it makes a chord structure that looks a lot like a C, a chord structure that looks a lot like an A. A chord structure that looks a lot like a G. Like if you look at G, G you play at the top string on the third fret, and then your uh, second string from the top, second fret, and then mm-hmm. it's open for the next few, and then you've got these these strings that you end up hitting at the bottom, which are all on the third fret. And sure. if you just play that going down, that makes a scale, a pentatonic scale. Yeah, sure. So in caged method, you're basically doing that all up and down. And depending on where you start or what notes you're hitting, where you may be playing a G scale going, okay, G, what's the next shape I need to do? Well, it would be E because caged G E D. So next is the E shape that I do. And then what's the next one I do? Well, it's the D shape that I do. And, And that works yourself down the fretboard and you just played a solo or played all the notes that are in the correct key. Nice. So you know how like you and I, when we learned how to play lead, we basically either learned the lead or mm-hmm. we went, yep. well, that sounded good or nope, that didn't sound very good. <laughs> and so you basically learn by trial and error. Well, yeah. with this cage system, you can get yeah. away with soloing musically and in the correct key. Yeah. And then as you become more comfortable with it, you just you can move it all around. And so I would think of it. It's basically the bar chord for soloing. That sounds awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, it's super cool. So um, I started learning that, believe it or not, after after like 25 years of playing, I learned it last year. Wow. And nice. the ability to improv and play now has grown immensely. Before I had my tricks, I had little tricks in a bag and my little tool belt. And every once in a while I pulled out this and I pulled out that and I pulled out this. But once I started doing this caged method, I went, I've been playing this in the fifth fret for a long time. But I know that I could also do this different shape down at the 12th fret. And then boom. Now all of a sudden I'm playing similar notes, but a completely different texture, a different sound and so i wish i would have learned that sooner and i'm going to send you a link so that you can yes. see how it works and um and i think that when you see it you'll be like oh crud i wish but i would I, have learned that as a kid as well <laughs> i've been missing this out my entire life yeah. it's been a sham <laughs> <laughs> well and ultimately both of those things between you know understanding how a chord is put together and understanding how the cage system works and stuff yeah. like that, ultimately it brings me to that that Nashville notation, which yep. I didn't need as a kid, but as a professional, I felt like I did. Yeah. As a church musician, I feel like I did. 
yeah. as, you know, a, as a studio musician, because occasionally, you know, you get called to play along with somebody. It yeah. would be a whole lot easier had I known that, because there's a lot of things, sure. especially with worship tunes, where you listen to Chris Tomlin play it and he decides to do it in G because he has, you know, the the range of a small child and then you go to play it in worship and all of a sudden they go great yeah we want to do this in you know e and you're like yeah what oh i don't know how to okay. play it in e i play it play yeah. in g i don't know you know and it's like well like yeah. capoing would be a stupid idea because that would have to send me all the way down here and yeah so i guess i need to know it and yeah. that's that's where that would be helpful um, yeah, I'd say for sure the Nashville number system is, I think, crucial if you're going to be any sort of professional. Yeah. I lived in Nashville for a year and a half and uh, went to school down there to to be a rock star. And, you know, it, it, yeah. I, I paid a lot of money. <laughs> and I, fortunately, yeah. I paid it off. But, you know, it was a great experience and it was a great lesson in what I don't want to be when I grow up. Um, yeah. You know, but... That was definitely one takeaway is that that Nashville number system, you know, it's critical if you want to do any sort of professional work. Yeah. So music theory is basically what it is. Yeah. And music theory is great because it's like all math. So. Yeah. Which you're uh, a math teacher. So exactly. <laughs> so everybody says, you know, how terrible music theory is when they go to college. And granted, I've never taken a music theory class. But, you know, for me, I'm like, well, music theory, it's just. It's just a pattern and numbers and right. you you go up or down and, and everything moves with it. So, so yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's more to it. And all the all the professional music teachers and, and musicians who had to go through this who have degrees in music are probably like she doesn't know what she's talking about. But uh, you know what? <laughs> You're selling my audience too well. I, I you know, I think most of the people who actually listen to this are probably not like music theory buffs. They're probably the people that are kind of like, well, I just want to hear people talk about gear. Can we yeah, just listen? Yeah. I just want to, I love gear and I want to hear people talk about gear, <laughs> you know, yeah. or I want to hear yep. stories. I want to do that. Or honestly, yeah. they're just friends of ours. <laughs> Hi friends. <laughs> they're being supportive. <laughs> hey friend. There you go. All right. Well, <sighs> if you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Let's hear from another sponsor. Are you looking for a party with a purpose? If you love music, if you love family-friendly, if you love camping, then you should look into LifeFest. LifeFest is one of the largest Christian music festivals in America and draws attendees from across the United States to worship together deepen their faith, and strengthen relationships with family and friends. This three-day event features dozens of artists, engaging seminars, and much more. This year, in 2021, we have two festivals. Come join A Party with a Purpose in Oshkosh, Wisconsin on July 8th through 11th, or on the Johnny Cash Hideaway Farm in Bon Agua, Tennessee on July 29th through 31st. I'll see you there. Well... That probably brings us to our last little bit on this conversation, on this therapy session. And the last part is, as you mentor the electric guitar player of today, what piece of advice do you suggest when they practice or when they play in a band? 
a couple things. The first thing is don't ever be afraid to try something in practice. For me, and, and it all comes about around to that insecurity thing, you know, being a female in, you know, a male dominated world. And, and the church is a little bit more forgiving in that area where it's a little easier to feel more comfortable. But I would say if you find yourself in a band situation, don't be afraid to try stuff and have it sound like poo because that's how you know what sounds good and what sounds bad. Rehearsal yeah. for me, like when I'm playing on the worship team, like rehearsal is always like it always if you recorded rehearsal and you listened to me playing what I thought I should play, it would sound terrible and you would yeah, like rough. laugh at me cuz it's yeah. like I hit everything wrong, but that's how I know mm-hmm. And you have to do it loud so you hear it, right? And so you have mm-hmm. to hear how it sounds against other things. And, you know, as you're trying different chord structures and this, that, and the other, you have to try things out and be afraid that they're going to sound bad. And so rehearsal is yeah. a good space for that. And so just don't have the fear. Don't be afraid. And be confident in what you can do. I guess the other big piece of advice I would have is every chance you get to ask somebody how something works, you need to ask. And again, for me, when I was younger, I was intimidated and I was much more shy about it. And today I, you know, I've learned to be secure in my own self. And some of us, it takes a little longer than others. But, you know, one of the things I wish I'd had done when I was younger is, you know, when there was a guitar player and I had an opportunity to ask, how do you get that tone? Or how do you, what's this yeah. pedal do? Don't be afraid to ask because guitar players want to mm-hmm. talk about their stuff. You know, we, we yeah. have collected things over the years. We have tried things and we have a lot of pride in our pedals and we want to show them off. <laughs> and so oh, yeah. if you want to ask about something, go ask about it, you know, and kids today have so many more opportunities to learn about stuff. You know, I look at YouTube And I mean, I just told my son today, you know, they played their video games in the morning and uh, I was like, go find a YouTube teacher so he can teach you how to play some guitar because they won't listen to me. You know, I mean, there's just so many resources and you've got rig rundowns on YouTube that you can watch. I mean, those are phenomenal watching, seeing what professional, you know, the, the guitar players, you know, and love. I mean, I just loved watching to see that's how you get those sounds. And so... My advice is anytime you have the chance to ask somebody, ask them. Don't be afraid. And the worst that they're going to say is, uh, I don't have time. And then, okay, no harm, no foul. So that, that, that would be my two biggest pieces of advice. As I yeah. have started to look more and more at what makes a guitar player great, I feel it always boils down to something that generally guitar players don't think about and Mm -hmm. I remember scoffing at when I was young and playing and that was rhythm Hmm. I would look at that and just be like drummer does that I'm gonna I'm gonna wail on this (laughs) I'm gonna play like this but the thing is is if your timing and your Mm -hmm. rhythm is off you sound bad yeah because if you're not following the drummer people don't blame the drummer they blame the guitar player and I remember very first time playing with a, a band that was going to actually tour and go do things. It was actually Martin Kretzman, who we've talked mm-hmm. about before and yeah. um, is a luthier over in kind of western Wisconsin, eastern Minnesota. He actually came in and we were practicing all together and he was giving some advice. And the advice that he gave was he said, you know, I understand 
that you're really excited for the next chord, but you have to wait for the rest of the band first. And, <laughs> and he was being sarcastic, but at the same time, I was like, I didn't really think of it that mm-hmm. way. Like, I didn't think of it as I was ahead of everybody because I was trying to, you know, it was a race, you know, and I was the one that was pushing everybody along. I just thought that I was hitting it and I was hitting it with energy. No, you could just nope. hear me better than everybody because I was too soon. Yeah. And timing is a big deal. If you don't yeah. have timing, you're not a professional. I mean, that's the honest truth. Yep. If, yep. if you don't have the correct rhythm and actually a hard thing for me when I first started playing with a band um, was doing like three, four and six, eight. Because hmm. yeah. I grew up with four, four. I mean, yeah. think about it. All the bands I just named off, uh, Leonard Skinnerd and Hootie and the Blowfish and uh, <laughs> George Strait and, you know, all of the audio adrenaline. It, everything's 4-4. Yep. Four, four. No one's doing 3-4 yeah. or 6-8. Well, and it's a 4-4 four, four and a 1-4-5 progression. So now yes. you have all their songs right there. Boom, you're done. <laughs> right. And, you know, it was it was difficult. And so I would I would suggest that. Now, that would be practice and also yeah. kind of playing with a band. But the thing that I would tell, and, and actually I've told multiple times to young musicians playing in a band, is the understanding that less is more. Yeah. If you are going to play, you need to be a layer in the band. Yeah. So if you're going to play notes... Play less notes that have impact yeah. rather than more notes that make you look awesome. Because ultimately, they don't make you look awesome. They they make you look sloppy. And, uh, you know, a good case in point for that, and, and I might get lectured a little bit on this one from people, <laughs> is Joe Perry from Aerosmith. He hmm. plays a lot of notes sometimes, but he's also a pretty sloppy player. Sure. Whereas sure. you hear some of the other people, like honestly, even like Angus Young for ACDC, when you hear him play, he's he's nailing the note he intends on doing. All yeah. of their songs are literally four chords. They're the same chords. Yeah. They've been playing the same songs, but different albums for 40 years. And sure. it's all awesome. Yeah. And they're not overly noty. Yeah. Every single thing has its own impact. And it's important. I think that comes back around to the whole idea of listening to each other and listening to what each other is playing and trying to build each other up. It's not Mm -hmm. a one person show uh, when you're playing in a band. It's it's a you guys together. And so finding ways to complement each other and work together on what you're playing. Yeah. You know, it all comes down to listening and it takes maturity to do that. It does. And, you know, and I'll piggyback onto your rhythm thing, too. Playing with a metronome is something that a lot of people are like, oh, a metronome. Oh, that's awful. Oh, I don't want to be so robotic. Yeah. But, oh, I got to let I got to let I got to feel it. It's but no, you 
you, when you do feel it, if it's wrong, you're feeling the wrong thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your feelings and, are not valid. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, you know, when, you know, when I started with in the band with 100 white flags, that was something that we had to learn to do was to play with a metronome. Yeah. And, I'll be honest, I was very adamantly against it in the beginning because I was that for that reason, like, oh, no, that's just uh, and we fought it for a long time. Finally, when we started to get used to playing with the metronome, uh, now I I don't like playing without it. You know, Uh, it is a critical piece of, you know, our Sunday morning worship. And it's it's a good thing. And uh, it also makes you better so that when you have cases where you can't play with a metronome, your rhythm is improved because of it, because you have it, it's yeah. naturally ingrained in you. And so you're, uh, most of the time people speed up, um, right. which, you know, I'll echo what you said. Speed is not energy. Uh, it's yeah, speed. Right. <laughs> so you can speed have energy speed. without speed. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it, it has, you know, I've been playing with a metronome now for, uh, almost 20 years and, uh, it, it does make a huge difference in your, in your tempo and your rhythm. So I remember playing with second Adam and we decided to start using a click track and we were doing this battle of the bands. And one of the people that was critiquing actually said, you guys would benefit from playing with a click. And Mm -hmm. I didn't understand what they were talking about. I was like, we do play with a click. We actually videotaped ourselves, And when I watched the video, what I noticed was the snare would hit slightly later than when the guitar would hit and i was i was like but we're both playing to the same click and you Hmm. could tell we didn't speed up we didn't slow down but we were not together yeah and that's when i learned that the click itself is not necessarily a boom 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 the the band has to feel the click And what I found was our drummer, the way he felt the click was the back of it. It was that whack, whack, you know, and it's that movement that goes with it. Whereas the guitar player, once again, here I am. I'm so excited for the next chord. I'm like, dun, 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 you know, and now what happens is, is I'm playing just at the click, maybe rushing it a touch. He's mm-hmm. playing just after Behind the click, it, yeah. a little lazy, and no one is in the correct spot. Yep. I immediately went, well, I want to follow the drums. And it was after that that I went, okay, we're playing the back of the click. And I actually felt more relaxed playing. It was because of that that I felt like our songs all of a sudden became more dynamic, became hmm. smoother. And it was simply because yeah. our rhythm, our timing, and the way we felt this electronic beat it wasn't electronic anymore instead it was just a guide and that's that's really a big difference yeah well and i find subdividing really helps too like especially if you're playing at anything under 150 just having that and like it really helps it helps you stay and, and it helps you feel when that next beat's coming and i don't know it's made me a better player so yeah All right. Well, that probably brings us to our final thoughts. So do you have any final thoughts, anything to say to those those people out there who are still learning or trying to learn more or possibly a you, somebody new to playing? Yeah. You know, I would just say keep playing and um, 
good things don't always come easy, right? So keep with it and practice is going to make you the better player. I mean, these are all the things, right? These are all the cliche things to say, but I guess, you yeah. know, my thing is if, if you're a girl out there playing, I guess I, I want to speak to you because like I said, it feels like it's kind of a man's world, but I want to encourage you if you're a female guitar player in particular to keep playing because it's not a man's world because men are only allowed to be in it. It's a man's world because we women feel intimidated by it. And so we just need to understand that it's not a world that we can't exist in. It's a world that we just have to get over ourselves and realize, hey, we do belong here. And really, we're the ones holding ourselves back in a lot of in a lot of times. And yeah, you're going to face people, you know, there are going to be people out there who are like, oh, you're a girl, you can't play. And I've certainly experienced that. But you just have to understand that you can do it and you can step up to the plate and be an excellent guitar player. And so um, don't ever think you don't have something to learn. We all have things to learn. Uh, I'm going to check out the caged thing. <laughs> so clearly yeah. I have something to learn. Um, yeah. It's a good stepping stone. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's always something you can be better at and listen to the people around you and ask questions. Yep. All excellent advice. Well, that concludes our time of the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you liked what you heard, leave five stars in a review. Also, don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Tweed Couch. Until next time. <laughs>